So, being the introvert that I am, yeah, um, it's funny because Julia was like, I want to announce your birthday. I was like, nope, nope, don't do it. Um, being the introvert that I am, birthdays are not a big deal for me. But every year, my wife, who is an extrovert, asks me what I want to do for my birthday. I give her the same answer every year. I don't want to do anything for my birthday. I don't want to party. I don't want to celebrate it. It's just another day for me. What I really want for my birthday is to stay at home, read a good book, play a good video game, and have some good old-fashioned alone time. Now, some of you are saying, wow, that sounds really, really sad. Birthdays should be a huge celebration. And if that's you, congratulations, you're an extrovert. You are. But if you're an introvert, you know where I'm coming from, right? So anyways, again, this year, my wife asks me, what do I want for my birthday? And I said to her, why do you ask me this every year? You know what my answer is going to be. And she says, I ask you every year, hoping that you will want to do something and have a big party. And I said, is my birthday about what you want? Or is it about what I want? And she said, well, people want to celebrate with you. And so what I'm finding out is that on a day that is supposed to be all about you and what you want, it isn't really about you. Which I think is God's sense of humor because I tell our students all the time, it's not about you. It's never about you. Even on your birthday, it's not about you, ever. Which is kind of the theme of where we're going today. It's not about you, okay? So we're starting this new series called Mognik, which is a Greek word that means upside down, backwards. No, it's not a Greek word. It's just kingdom spelled backwards. Why is it spelled backwards? Because God's kingdom is different than any other kingdom that it has ever been. God's kingdom goes against the world's logic and reasoning. It's an upside down, backwards way of things. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring what it looks like to be a part of this upside-down kingdom of God, okay? So let's get into it by defining what the kingdom of God is. See, the kingdom of God was the heart of Jesus' message. His first message was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us to seek God's kingdom first. And most of his parables begin with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like this. So what is this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about? Well, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it speaks about the kingdom in several ways. One way is within the context of the general sovereignty or rule that God has over the entire universe. Simply put, it means that God is the absolute ruler 
of all that is. And throughout scripture, God is painted as this reigning monarch, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. In Exodus, it says the Lord will reign forever and ever. In Psalms 24, it says he is the king of glory. And when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw him sitting on a throne, high and exalted. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And in Revelations, it says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So the Bible paints us this picture of God as the great and mighty king. And that's the part of the kingdom of God. The second way which the phrase the kingdom of God is used is to describe the rule and the reign that Jesus has in the hearts and the lives of those that come and know him as king and savior. I mean, we often talk about letting Jesus sit on the throne of our hearts and be the Lord of our lives. These are simply expressions that we use to talk about the authority and dominion that Jesus has in the lives of those who know him. And so scripture presents this kingdom of God both as a present reality and something which is to come at a later appointed time. Today, Jesus reigns and rules in the hearts of those who love him. And someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So the kingdom of God is both present and yet to come. And it is a kingdom that turns the world upside down. And it's what Jesus does as he begins his ministry on this earth. Jesus returns from the wilderness after enduring temptation from Satan and he begins preaching the good news. And he says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he gives one of the greatest sermons ever to be preached with the Sermon on the Mount. And he proclaims this upside down kingdom that is so radical that the authorities kill him and try to put an end to his ideas. That's how different Jesus' teaching was. They killed him for what he said. But death couldn't stop the upside down way of Jesus. And when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, it's the essential message of Jesus. And it challenged every concept that the people had about the kingdom of God. And of course, the Jewish people were waiting for a kingdom, weren't they? They were waiting for Israel to be restored. They were waiting for the Romans to get kicked out. They were waiting for a king to rule and reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. They were waiting for a kingdom of peace and prosperity for the people. And some had tried to bring the kingdom by force through revolts and violence. If you know your history, this is what the Maccabeans did. They tried to do that. It's what the Zealots tried to do. They tried to bring the kingdom in by force, by violence. Others thought to bring the kingdom in through uh, diplomacy, through political alliances. The idea was, if we could just get friendly enough with Rome, well, they'll give us some freedom and we'll carve out our own little kingdom for ourselves. It won't be everything, but at least it'll be something that we have. That was the strategy of the Sadducees. Still others believe that if they were just religious enough, holy enough, righteous enough, that God from heaven would seed their piety and he would bring the kingdom down as a reward for their righteousness. This was the strategy of many of the Pharisees. 
And so amidst all this kingdom fervor that is going on, Jesus comes onto the scene and he announces, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your whole way of thinking, your whole way of living, the pattern of your life. Change it. Reverse it. Turn it around. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. Jesus is saying, you're striving so hard to make the kingdom come down to reality, but I'm telling you, the reality of the kingdom is already coming down to you. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's at hand. Reach out. Take my hand. Follow me into the life of the kingdom of heaven. See, they were expecting a totally different kingdom. They were expecting a palace, and Jesus offered his person. They wanted freedom for their nation, but Jesus brings healing and freedom one person at a time. They wanted some great big political upheaval, and Jesus brings internal transformation of the heart. It's an unexpected kingdom. It's an upside-down, backwards kingdom, and it's at hand in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount, and he basically says, Everything you know about this blessed life, the good life, it's wrong. It's completely wrong. Now that the kingdom has come among you, you have to change the way you think about life and everything else in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you want to know who has the good life? It's not the rich. It's not the comfortable. It's not the successful. It's not the popular. Everyone that you think has the perfect, blessed life actually does not have it. In the kingdoms of the world, these are the people that come out on top, but not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, it's different. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, those who are first will be last. And those who are last will be first. In the kingdom of God, you're you're strong when you're weak. In the kingdom of God, you have to give in order to receive. And all throughout the New Testament, you find Jesus preaching the same message. Those that will seek to save their lives will lose it. And those who will lose their life for the sake of the kingdom will save it. And John the Baptist said it best when he said, I must decrease so that he might increase. In other words, it's not about you. It's not about you. Life within this kingdom of God is upside down from what the kingdom of the world is. We've been called to be different from the world. We have been commissioned with the responsibility of showing the world around us the difference that Jesus can make in our lives. See, the world hates those who hate them, yet we're supposed to love our enemies. In the world, when somebody slaps you, you slap them back. But in the kingdom of God, we turn the other cheek. But see, knowing knowing that he is Lord of our lives and allowing him to reign in our lives are two entirely different things. See, our problem is we want to inherit the kingdom of God, but we don't want to give up control and allow Jesus to be king in our decisions and the way we live our lives. We want to be the central figure in our own little kingdom. We want it to be about us, but it's never, ever about us. It's not about our plans. It's not about our comforts, our preferences, our desires. It's his plans that matter. 
It's his will that we should be pursuing. Let me be real with you for just a minute. I've been in this job of equipping the church to do the ministry of the gospel for longer than anything else I've done in my life. And the further along this journey that I walk with Jesus, the more that I am convinced that we have pushed our worldly way of living onto scripture and into the church instead of allowing scripture to radically transform the way we live and the world around us. The more I study the life and the teachings of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that he's in the business of radically disrupting the patterns of how we look and live life. As the sovereign God of the universe, his is an upside down kingdom and the ground rules are different from the ground rules which you and I are inclined inclined to function by. And I think this secular mindset, and when I say this secular mindset, what I mean is that we try to walk in two different kingdoms. We try to walk in God's kingdom and our own kingdom. And we try to keep a foot in both kingdoms. So instead of being a radical transformative agent of God's kingdom that walks in opposition to the kingdom of the world, transforming everything that we come in contact with through the power of the Holy Spirit, instead of doing that, we try to walk in both kingdoms, following Jesus when it's convenient or when it doesn't impact our schedules or our comforts or our finances. See, our focus isn't about telling the world about Jesus, which was the central mission our Lord left with us to accomplish. Our focus is about our comfort and our preferences, about what the church can offer me, what music style I want to worship to, what messages feed me, what programs does the church offer. And if I don't get what I want, or it doesn't go the way that I think it should go, then I'm easily offended and I walk away. And I start church shopping, very much like the video Aaron shared last week with us. Or worse, we're just apathetic about it. We come on Sunday, and maybe we drop a few dollars in the offering box, and we sing a couple of songs, and we listen to a message, and we go, yeah, that sounds good. But then we leave here, with our box checked, saying, I've done my part, Lord. Let me say something to you, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Please don't take it the wrong way. But this, all this that we do here on Sunday, it isn't what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a part of it. It is, it's a part of it, but it's a small, small part. But we've made this everything. And I believe the reason that the Christian community today is so weak and anemic is that we've lost our understanding of what God's kingdom is. We've thought that becoming a Christian only means that our sins are forgiven and that we'll go to heaven when we die. And so we've defined the Christian life as primarily relevant for the afterlife. We're just in it for the ticket to heaven. But if the Christian life If the Christian life is understood as entering into and living under God's redemptive rule now, 
then the Christian life is an exciting, incredible adventure. And we seek to live transformed lives that radically, and I mean radically, impact our homes, our workplaces, our communities, our churches. When people understand what it means to live under God's kingdom, then we're ready to really live the abundant life that Jesus promised us. If your spiritual life is boring, it's likely that you've forgotten the part of God's kingdom where you follow after Jesus. And I would say you've made it all about you. And listen, I'm not standing up here in a superior position. I struggle with this as well. And oftentimes I find myself very frustrated with where my life is at. But the reason that I'm frustrated and the reason I feel dry at times is because I'm chasing all the things that just don't matter. And I'm all about building my kingdom and serving myself. But the kingdom of God is centered on Jesus and selfly serving others. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And he gave his life for a ransom. And that ransom, his sacrifice, that was the price that was paid in order for me to be a citizen of his kingdom. And if you're a Christian, a person who has been transformed by the power of God and whom the spirit of God resides in you, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And all that Jesus has to say about the kingdom applies to you whether you realize it or not. There are responsibilities that we have to fulfill as his subjects. The question is, are we following his will or our own? So let me ask you a very personal question. Have you allowed Christ to transform your life? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? I know you've referred to Jesus many times as Lord and Savior, and I'm not asking if you can mouth those words in a very pious way. What I'm asking you is if you come to a point in life where you're willing to follow him in that radical aspect of who he is, as the one who is in the process of turning your life upside down, rather than this sweet, comforting, caring Jesus who's going to solve all your problems in this life and the next life to come? Do you allow him to totally wreck your plans? Do you allow him to push you out of your comfort zone? Do you allow him to push your faith to the edge where you have no choice but to trust and cling to him because if you don't, you're going to fall? Do you live on that kind of edge of faith? Or do you just sit comfortably and check your boxes? Which kingdom do you want to live in? Who do you want as your king? Yourself or Jesus? Because Jesus is enlisting you to live in an economy that doesn't function the way the world functions. His kingdom is not of this world. It's the kingdom of God in which the stranglehold of sin is broken by his death and resurrection. And once you repent of your sin and put your trust in him, he enlists you to be an agent of reconciliation, to live daily in relationship with the Father, to be a participant with him in radically transforming the world. Being at mission 
at the cost of dying to yourself? Or did you think he wasn't serious when he said, take up your cross and follow me? In one of A.W. Tozer's books, he talks about the characteristics of a spiritual man that show what it looks like for a person to live in the kingdom of God under the authority and rule of Jesus Christ. Listen and see how God's kingdom is different than the one that we build for ourselves. In God's kingdom, our desire should be to be holy rather than to be happy. Remember, being holy means set apart. It means being different. It means being a misfit for God. Happiness is fleeting and constantly changing, right? Being right with God brings true contentment that material possessions and perfect circumstances can't bring. In God's kingdom, our desire should be to see the honor of God advance through our lives, even if it means we must suffer dishonor or loss. Such a man, says Tozer, prays, hallowed be thy name, and then silently adds, at any cost to me. This is the position of a man who so desperately wants God's glory to be made manifest through his life that he will pray, Lord, whatever it takes, make me what you want me to be for your own glory, not mine. In God's kingdom, we should desire to carry our cross. This cross is not forced upon us, It's not a burden that we grudgingly bear. It's something that we willingly take up as we follow Jesus. It's the instrument which brings death to self. Carrying a cross means to be attached to Jesus Christ, committed to his lordship and obedient to his commands. In God's kingdom, we should desire to see others advance at our own expense. This is the mark of a true servant, a person who's willing and desires to see others get the spotlight and receive the accolades of men rather than advancing themselves. As a servant, we realize that all glory belongs to God and it's his to give to whomever he wants to. It's not ours to gain. In God's kingdom, we should make decisions based on eternity instead of basing them on the temporary reality we know as earthly life. See, by faith, we're able to see that life here is temporary and that we're foreigners on this earth and that we live in a spiritual realm, not merely in the material world. All these characteristics are evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual who lives in the kingdom of God under the rule of Jesus Christ. It's time to choose your king, and your kingdom. Band, you guys can come up. As they come up, let me ask you this question. don't Don't you want more? Don't you want more than these earthly things that we spend so much time pursuing? Man, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I am increasingly overwhelmed with the reality that this life is very fragile, and very, very short. And I want my life to be more than the money I earned, more than the career I pursued, more than the education I got, more than the house I live in or the entertainment I fill my life with. I want more than this life. 
Yet most of us live as this life is all that there is. If this is all that there is, then you and I are just wasting our time. I mean, when Jesus talks about abundant life, it isn't a promise that everything works out and that we don't experience troubles and sorrows. It isn't a life that guarantees the American dream of getting married, having a family, getting a great job, buying a nice house, retiring in comfort, and enjoying the pleasures of this physical life. That's not the abundant life. The abundant life is a call to live radically, risking it all, risking it all for God's kingdom. It's living on the edge, giving it all to him, knowing that he's sovereign and that all that we have is from him. It's in his hands. Everything, our whole lives. So we give it to him. We give him our desires, our comfort, our finances, our skills, our gifts, our plans, our entire being are in submission to him. Don't you want to live that way? He challenges us to be in bat. He challenges us to be his ambassadors in this new kingdom. He challenges you and me to take up our crosses and follow him. He challenges us to realize that what's beyond this life is so much greater than what we have here. What kingdom do you want to live in? What king do you want to serve? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and your sacrifice that allows us to be citizens in your kingdom. God, help us not to take that cost lightly. Lord, that we would live a life that's completely submitted to you, that we would live a life that is transformed and that it transforms others around us. God, help us to never be about ourselves, but help us to make it all about you and all that we do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.